You're going to love this. Just love it. No, buckle up. Very not right. Uh, welcome to the broadcast. I am uh, stuck in the middle with you on 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app. On the Progressive Voices Channel, on TuneIn, on Netroots Radio, and on Liberal Justice Radio. Yes, this is Pacifica Radio. I'm Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, your friendly blogger, investigative journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow joining you for what is going to be, I suspect, a roller coaster of a show in the middle of a roller coaster of a week. We've got so much good news. So much bad news, I don't even know where to start. Well, we're going to start with, with a couple of guests shortly, but uh, I, I wanted to note, since I always try to uh, note good news at the top when I can find it, let me note this, that uh, in the month of March, for the first time in more than a decade, zero, zero U.S. troops died in combat. That's the good news. It's taken a decade, but finally, uh, last month, no U.S. troops died in combat. The, uh, the bad news, however, is that uh, still 22 veterans, 22 veterans commit suicide a day. Of those U.S. veterans who commit suicide, 69% are over 50, 31% are veterans that are 49 and younger, and the rate of veteran suicides are still two times higher than the civilian population. So we are uh, reaping what we sowed, I'm afraid, um, and I hope that we can do something about that in the future. So some mixed good news and bad news there for you. Um, a little bit later on in the show, we're going to uh, focus on the Supreme Court case, the McCutcheon versus Federal Election Commission case uh, that came down today. Bad news, very bad news for democracy, I'm afraid. Uh, on the other hand, uh, federal court loss for Florida Governor's Rick Scott and his voter purge in 2012. That, at least, is a win of sorts for voters. So there's that. Uh, also a small win for all of us this week at the FCC, at the FCC, who I can't remember the last time I lauded for anything. They rolled back at least part of their decades-old media consolidation that has gone on. We're going to try to hit that a little bit in this very busy news day. Uh, to talk about some of those things, we'll be joined by constitutional law reporter Ian Milheiser. Uh, also, Desi Doyen, as usual, will join us. Uh, but this week, it's a very special April Fox Day Green News Report. So you're not going to want to miss that, where we celebrate the fossil-fueled fools over at Fox News uh, this week for April Fool's Day. Okay, what other business? Oh, you can tweet me throughout the show. I am the Brad Blog over on the Twitters. 
And I think that's it for the moment. Let me get uh, straight to my first guest, Katie. I knew as soon as I brought her on. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, there we go. We got her. Uh, Katie uh, Klabusik. Hope I pronounced that right. She's a writer, a reproductive health care access activist, and a media contributor. You can follow her work at katiespeak.com uh, or on Twitter at katie underscore speak. This week, she published an open letter to legislators from a clinic escort. Open letter to legislators from a clinic escort at truthout.org on the heels of what she describes as being targeted by the Pro-Life Action League who posted an article with her name and photo and the city where she lives and works, along with two other abortion rights activists and journalists, urging uh, the organization's uh, members to pray and fast for these three women and to pass the photos and links on to others, so via, uh, to, onto others via social media so that they presumably could do the same. Uh, writing at the pro... Life Action League, uh, Ann Scheidler writes, This Lent, we're encouraging prayer and fasting for three specific abortion activists, three women deeply entrenched and ideologically committed to abortion. We're asking you to pray every day and offer the sacrifice of one meal a week for them during the season of Lent, which begins today. That article goes on, uh, quotes from the Bible. It offers pictures of these three women, their names, where they live and work, what they do, and so forth. Katie, in response, has uh, written her own open letter to legislators. Let me read just a touch of that, and then I'll bring Katie on. And then we will be joined by Eric Scheidler of the Pro-Life Action uh, Network. Dear legislator, writes Katie, I am a human shield. I stand alongside patients so they can access their doors, their doctor's office safely, Without threats or shaming, I have seen things and heard things that would floor you, offend you, and even terrify you on your city's sidewalks. I volunteer gladly because accessing basic health care is a right in this country that I'm willing to stand for until it is fully realized. I do this work knowing that it is not my job. It is your job, protecting the citizens, providing them basic safety and security on their streets is at the core of the oath you swore when you talk, uh, when you took office. Katie Klabusik, if I'm close, uh, welcome to the broadcast, Katie. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you live. Great to talk uh, to you. Just on the Twitter. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, as you know, I have been following you on the Twitters for quite some time. I am a, a fan of you and of the work that you're doing. And I want to talk to you for a minute or two before we uh, bring in Eric Scheidler from the Pro-Life uh, Action Network. Uh, I want to find out first off, uh, I, I have to admit here that when I saw your initial tweets about what you regarded as a threat from this organization, and I began to look into it and found out that you were working as a clinic es escort. I have to admit, I didn't know there was actually such a thing as a clinic escort. So my apologies for that. Give us a very quick idea what you do as a clinic escort, if you don't mind, Katie. Sure. That's part of why I wrote the piece for Truth Out, which was actually in the works long before the Slutton campaign from the Pro-Life Action League. Um, our clinics have picketers, which I think we've kind of grown accustomed to, unfortunately, in this country. Mm -hmm. But we tend to think of them as just people with signs off to the side and, and a rosary maybe and doing some praying. Um, but depending on whether or not there are city or state ordinances to protect the clinics and keep a safe distance um, to allow women to access the, the doors without harassment, 
often that's not the case. Um, depending, depending on the laws, it could go from just sort of annoying chasing down of patients and offering them pamphlets, which is most of what happens in places like Chicago with buffer zones, to out-and-out physical intimidation, screaming and yelling that can be heard blocks away, uh, which was the case at a clinic in New Jersey where I was escorting um, until they passed a buffer zone recently. Mm-hmm. So it kind of varies, um, but we just sort of provide a little bit of visual security on the, on the sidewalk. Um, just as an as an extension of the clinic. Are are you armed? Do you uh, have to wear bulletproof vests? Anything like that? How do we know uh, who the clinic escorts are? We wear vests. We kind of look like crossing guards. Right. So anybody who's ever done a lot of protesting or gone to marches, the way like the National Lawyers Guild wears the green hats. Um, they're not there to officially be your lawyer. They're not there to officially be the police. Um, they're just someone you can go to because they, they know the law and know what's going on, just sort of as a visual security and someone you can lean on should there be something going on. And, and do you believe, uh, Katie, that these groups uh, like the Pro-Life Action League that has cited you, uh, do they have a right to, uh, to picket and protest outside of reproductive clinics as you see it? Well, there's a difference between what I, I draw a, a big distinction between the vigil style uh, protesters who are the people that we would think of more as just off to the side mm-hmm. um, with signs and, and executing their conscience, right? Like they're there because they have a belief and they're out there praying. And that's, that can be the majority of people, especially during Lent. Um, the call that this, cam- this campaign that's part of the Internet meme with my face on it, they, they ask during Lent every year for an increased presence at clinics, and I make this point in the Truth Out piece, that the majority of the extra people that show up for those are peaceful. They're just off to the side, having a presence, but there are people who chase people down and scream and yell, and with the with the creation of this new group, the Abolish Human Abortion group, that's sort of on the fringe, um, they think that, that women who have abortion should be on death row and that, that doctors should be put in jail. Uh, they pick it at, at schools and, and churches mm-hmm. that aren't anti-choice enough. With that happening, the, the, the climate is getting to be more volatile, and that's not something that other less antagonistic groups within the broader pro-life movement can pretend they're not aware of. But, but you would still uh, support their right, their First Amendment right uh, to protest. You talk about a, a buffer zone. Would that be adequate? And how large a buffer zone would, would these uh, protesters need to stay uh, away from uh, the clinics so that people can use them and exercise uh, their, their basic uh, reproductive rights, as you describe it? For sure. I'm an ACLU member. They have the absolute right to speak their mind. Um, the, the distance of buffers has kind of varied depending on where the clinic is and the way it's laid out and whether or not there's parking lots and stuff. So Chicago has a floating eight-foot buffer around the patient that's also 15 feet away from the door, um, which really gives you pretty good vocal access to patients. Mm -hmm. It just allows there to be some space where you can't be standing right next to the door, which is really intimidating. I mean, that sort of presence is what leads to people like Kermit Gosnell, who was just, um, just convicted, you listen to patients who ended up at his clinic and they say that the reason that they went there is because the Planned Parenthoods in Philadelphia were so heavily picketed, they would show up for appointments and be terrified to cross the street. Mm. So there's a difference between standing off to the side and running after people. And and that should be the distinction. Uh, if you want to hold a sign, if you want to you know, exercise mm-hmm. your conscience, 
within a, a safe distance, the same way we have with polling places. You can't run up the people walking into a voting booth, and mm-hmm. that's arguably a political act. Accessing your doctor is not the same kind of political act. There's no reason we can't have similar, if not stronger, protection. Sure. And in most places, you have to be, I believe it's 100 feet from a polling right. place. Uh uh, so you're right. We, we do protect uh, voters uh, much more, it seems, than uh, women who are going to re- uh, you know, receive uh, health treatments. And it's not just abortion, by the way. It's uh, cancer treatments, uh, you know, cancer screenings, uh, you know, prenatal care or birth control and so forth. Uh, do you feel threatened then? Uh, and this is what caught my eye. Uh, this article that the Pro-Life Action League uh, wrote about you, uh, pointing out where you live, where you work, um, putting up your picture. Uh, Do you feel threatened and have you been threatened uh, since this article went up uh, last month over, uh, over at their website? Aside from some Facebook comments, mostly on their page and the occasional email, I haven't really... It's not really their style um, necessarily is to be, you know, on online harassers. Um, they're, they're an older organization. They've been around since the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that in this movement, there is a history of wanted posters, right? So it yeah. doesn't say wanted at the top of this poster, but David Cohen and his, um, his co-author, whose name I always mess up, Kristen Conan, um, they're finishing a three-year project investigating the history of anti-choice violence, and they saw a similar similarity between this style and the, 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 the wanted posters from the 90s where eight abortion providers were murdered by anti, anti-abortion extremists. So that's, I mean, that's, it, it's not new, right? So this tactic isn't mm-hmm. new. What is new is that it's typically providers who are targeted, and that's not okay. Doctors shouldn't be installing bulletproof vests and taking evasive measures to and from their job just in order to provide health care. But we've kind of grown accustomed to that. What's never happened before is that media and activists have never been a target during the 40 Days for Life Lenten campaign. And I'm, I mean, arguably I'm a a public figure because I'm vocal about my activism, but I'm certainly not a national figure within the pro-choice movement. So if it's okay to be targeting me, who exactly is off limits? And that is the thing that I find the most, you know, horrifying kind of about about this situation you know it is it is troubling and it is disturbing and so i i uh i I want to bring in uh eric uh, scheidler right now to talk about this because i have been myself uh targeted in similar ways and it can be quite terrifying um but uh, well uh, let's find out what uh, eric scheidler has to say eric scheidler is the national uh where do i want to get it right the executive director for the pro-life action league uh eric scheidler welcome to the broadcast do we have him hey brad hey there you are okay uh hopefully you were able to hear uh some of what katie had to say uh are you concerned that you might be putting people either katie or people like others uh in danger by naming them as you have by putting up their picture uh, on your website by saying where they live and so forth uh do you have concerns that uh, if if not you as a crazy person, but other uh, you know people who are crazy uh, might target people like Katie and uh, some of the other folks that you name in your uh, in in your article written by uh, Ann Scheidler, who I, I presume is a uh, relative of yours. Yes, Ann's my mother. 
Um, let me clarify one thing first. You know, we didn't uh, give addresses for anybody in this um, call for prayer. We simply stated, you know, in, in some cases where, you know, the part of the country these people are from, the city that they live in, uh, more by way of, you know, just biographical information so that people can pray for them more effectively and kind of know who they are. That's also why we used pictures, because we wanted to really inspire people to look into these faces and see children of God, see sisters mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, we can sympathize with. Um, you know, I myself am a Byzantine Rite Catholic, very similar to the Greek Orthodox, and in, in our tradition, prayer is, is, is always accompanied by images, by pictures. In fact, in the background of this, of the graphic that we're spreading around on Facebook, um, you'll see an icon by Aeneas Pavias, a, um, a late Byzantine iconographer that was on display at the National Gallery. Beautiful icon. Um, so the idea that it's some kind of wanted poster, I mean, if it's a wanted poster, then, you know, your driver's license is a wanted poster. It's got a picture of a face on it. It's about where the similarity ends. Eric, do, do, you, mind if I, do, do you mind if I post your driver's license at bradblog.com? Well, you know, my personal information is pretty easy to access. Um, if you're asking people to pray for me and you put just my picture in the fact that I live in Aurora, Illinois, I'd be, I'd be flattered. So, you know, that's essentially what we're doing. We're not giving out street addresses. Um, and we are sincerely asking for people to pray. And, and you, feel that, um, not, you feel that the prayers will be more uh, effective, to use your words, if, the, if your readers know where these women live? Well, the, the, the places where they live is simply just out of, you know, describing who they are. You know, an abortionist who works in Wichita, a, you know, a clinic escort out in New Jersey. Well, you, you, were quite speci- you were quite specific with Katie. You said uh, where she used to work, where she now lives. And, and I'm trying to figure out the purpose of that. Because, well, listen, I, I support your right, your First Amendment rights here uh, completely. What I, where, where that uh, support stops, however, is when your First Amendment rights uh, begins to intimidate, uh, frighten, scare other people who also have rights uh, to not be intimidated, frightened, scared, and, uh, you know, threatened by, uh, as you know, uh, people in your movement, not necessarily your organization, I'm saying, but within the uh, uh, anti-choice pro-life movement have targeted uh, abortion clinics, uh, doctors, and so forth, uh, violently have murdered many of them. And, And I would think that that would be a concern of yours, Eric. Well, let's be clear. Again, I'm not giving out a street address. Just the town of, I mean, if, if I can show up in Brooklyn and find, mm-hmm. find Katie just by asking around, you know, then she's very, she's very popular. So I'm not at all concerned about, about that. It's all I can do to get the people who actually listen to Eric Scheidler not to fold up and go home and the police show up and say, boo. The kind of people who listen to a pro-life action league and who follow my advice uh, are absolutely committed to nonviolence. Um, I'm not concerned that anything I'm going to do is going to cause a problem there. And let's look at the facts here. I mean, Katie's not acting like a person who's scared for her life. She's done more to publicize this than I could have ever hoped to. And, you know, she put this so-called wanted poster on her Twitter handle. Mm -hmm. You know, it's her image. Uh, you know, she's not acting like a person who's like honestly scared that somebody's going to try to attack her. Well, to be, I, I have not the focus of this campaign at all. Well, Eric, I have to be uh, frank with you. When I have been targeted in the past, and I know other people who have been targeted in the past, uh, I think many of us find uh, sunlight to be the best disinfectant to let people know that we have been targeted. Uh, would it be okay uh, with you if uh, if Katie was harassed, was injured, or was even killed? Uh, because of your posting uh, her name, her her picture, and where of she lives? Would that, that would be, okay? be okay? Of course that wouldn't be okay, but that is not going to happen because mm-hmm. of a 
uh, a graphic on Facebook asking for prayers and yeah. saying that God loves these women, and that we bent over backwards to, you know, use the most ironic language we could. We could have called Katie Klebicich a, a bloodthirsty death scort or something like that. Yeah. We wanted to really be polemic and inspire intimidation or something like that. You know, I'm calling her a clinic escort. I got under fire from people for using the word clinic. Uh, for calling Robin Marty a pro-choice journalist instead of a pro-abortion propagandist or something like that. I mean, what we're, we're trying to be as responsible as we can whilst asking for prayers for three women who our work has directly involved over the course of the past year and who we honestly believe we need to love better and we need to pray for. Katie uh, Kablusik, do you uh, accept Eric Scheidler's explanation here that uh, the reason he's putting this up is because he wants to pray for you, the reason he, they, they put up uh, where you live and so forth is so that their prayers can be uh, done more effectively? Do you, do you accept that explanation? Does that give you any comfort, Katie? When I was, uh, I was religious in, in high school, um, on my own as part of a, a really great church that cared about social justice and, and loving our neighbors. I never needed a picture to care about someone or pray for them. I didn't even, frankly, have to know their name um, in order for those prayers to be genuine. So for me, it is, it is at best disingenuous to say that there's that there's no possibility of violence, especially for the provider that's that's been pictured who has requested to not be a public figure. So, I mean, even if even if every if, even if 100 percent of the people that are a part of the, the pro-life action league, you know, outreach and network and membership have the sincerest of, you know, motivations and intentions and are praying for me, that's. To say that to say that you don't know the history within the anti-choice movement and the possibility of violence from the fringe groups that would absolutely pick up this story. I mean, it's been picked up by Renew America and Operation Rescue and groups with more extremist, you know, views in in the in the current you know in the current times. To say that to say that you don't know that that's a possibility is is at best is at best disingenuous. Uh, Eric, uh, if if Katie uh, expresses, and as she has, uh, as I've seen in her uh, uh, Twitter feed and, and elsewhere, if she expresses that she feels threatened, that she feels frightened uh, by this, even though you don't believe that she is, uh, isn't that enough to do the right thing and to take down those, uh, those posters, to remove uh, where she lives and so on and so forth? Because I'm sure you don't want her to feel threatened. Uh, is that right, Eric Scheidler? No, of course I don't want her to feel threatened, and she's not threatened, and I don't think she really well. believes that she's being threatened by anybody connected with me in any way. But you know what? If I have to take ownership for the, the occasional lunatic who goes off the wall and, and commits some acts of violence, then you know the pro-choice movement has to also take ownership for the people who threw bricks through my parents' front windows um, a couple of Christmases ago, for the guy on the street who threw my, my colleague John to the ground and cut him up um, during one of our protests, for the guy who jumped out of his car and ripped a sign out of somebody's hands and got in his face and spat at him and threatened him. You know, I recognize that Katie is not a violent person, and she doesn't have to take responsibility for those people. Neither do I, a perfectly peaceful person, have to take responsibility for the actions of other people, people who are not taking their cues from the nonviolent pro-life movement. They're Eric. just not. Eric. They don't listen to me, and they're not going to be inspired by this call for prayer to do something violent. They want to be violent. They're going to do that all on their own. And mm -hmm. I'm praying for Katie that she not be the subject. So, of so you feel people will be inspired to pray, uh, but they won't be inspired by this message to do anything else. Eric uh, Scheidler, how, how many um, pro-life 
uh, activists have been murdered over the past uh, five or ten years? I know of only three. Uh, I know of many who have been punched in the face, who have had, you know, my, my parents' house has been vandalized many times. You know of three uh, pro-life activists who have been murdered? Three pro-life activists who have been murdered. Where, where is, where is that? When was that? Violence. You can go to prochoiceviolence.com, okay. or maybe it's prochoiceviolence.org, to get some of the background information on two of them. And then, of course, there's the famous Jim Pullian case. And, Katie, how, how many uh, uh, pro-choice activists have been, or uh, activists or doctors and so forth, have been murdered, uh, to your knowledge, over the past five or ten years? Uh, ten um, that, I, that I know of. And the National Abortion over the Federation past years. and, and Guttmacher, just between 2010 and 2012, there have been 300 um, successful bombings and arsons, vandalism, incidents of trespassing, anthrax threats, uh, assaults and batteries. Uh, death threats, bomb threats, burglary, stalking. The week that this this you know campaign of prayer was kicked off, a a clinic in Montana was vandalized, which is not a strong enough word, by a second generation um, anti-choice activist. And that that clinic may or may not reopen because of all of the damage that was done. Patient records were stolen. So this is not like it's not old. This isn't and this isn't about. I mean, I've been spat on standing outside of clinics. Like that's. Technically, that's assault. I mean, you could call, you know, you could call the police over that. But grabbing somebody's sign out of their hand isn't really the same thing as, as you know, the number of doctors who've been murdered. I mean, this isn't doctors aren't installing expensive bulletproof glass in their clinics because they're alarmist. Anybody who's been to a Planned Parenthood in the last, I don't know, forever, my whole lifetime knows that you had to go through almost airport-style security to get in. They check your purses. They check everything about you. You have to flash ID. That's not – those organizations aren't doing that because there's no threat. It's, it's not something that's being imagined. I, I've got just a minute or two here. I'm speaking with Katie Klebusik uh, of katiespeak.org. She is a clinic escort uh, who feels as if she's been targeted by the Pro-Life Action League, uh, who has posted her name, her photograph, uh, where she lives. The uh, Pro-Life Action League uh, executive director, Eric Scheidler, is with us. I've got just another minute or two, so let me get in a couple of quick questions, Eric. Um, Do you agree, as Katie seems to, that there should be a buffer zone between protesters at these clinics uh, and, and people trying to use them, women trying to use them? If so... How far do you think that buffer zone should be uh, in, in every case? No, uh, the, the Massachusetts buffer is going to be overturned by the United States Supreme Court. I so you're, you're against you're against buffer zones, is what you're saying? I, I'm absolutely against free speech, anti-free speech buffer zones like that, um, because there's simply and the justices recognized this when they heard the arguments in the McCollin case to, to differentiate between the, the person who's going to be rude and the person who's going to be perfectly pleasant is impossible. Rudeness is not uh, against the First Amendment. I, you know, I abhor the people who take an approach that's obnoxious and in your face, yeah. but we have, a, we have a, a high value in this land on, the, on freedom of speech. And, and I think the justices are going to recognize and these buffer zones are going to go. Do you disagree with the buffer zones that are around polling, every polling place in the country, you know, approximately 100 feet around every polling place? Is that also a violation of your First Amendment rights as you see it? No, because Election Day at the polling place is not the place for electioneering. Um, but we're not talking about a political act outside an abortion clinic. We're talking about a spiritual act. People are trying to have a conversation, trying to help someone in a, in a state of need and, and offer an opportunity to not go through with an abortion so that you don't have that you know, on your, on your 
uh, hard for the rest of your and life. Does, and does a so woman going to receive a, does a woman going to receive a, a medical service, a perfectly legal uh, medical service, a protected right, does she have a right to go have that service without being harangued, uh, spoken to by people who are picketing and protesting? Does she have any right at all for that, as you see it, Eric Scheidler? Not under our Constitution, we, we citizens have a right to speak to each other on public sidewalks. Except not no, on election. Except except not on election day. You're cool with that, but you're. Uh, it, it seems to be a contradictory uh, stance, there, uh, Eric. If, if I had to tolerate someone talking to me on my way to the polling place, if, if that's uh-huh. the payoff for me to be able to talk to a woman outside an abortion clinic, I'm happy to pay that price. Katie, uh, you know, you're I'm not invested in the buffer zone around an election. D- uh, do you have a thought, Katie, on uh, what seems to be a contradictory idea that he's he's fine with uh, hundred foot buffer zones uh, at the polling place because it's inappropriate to bother people on election day, but not appropriate to bother them when they're going to see their doctor? Well, I'll take him at his word that he would be okay without buffers at any of those locations. Um, but what I what I don't agree with is that. Somehow, what's going on outside of our country's clinics is inherently a spiritual act. Uh, my freedom from religion allows me to walk down the sidewalk without being proselytized to if I don't want to, and often, often in a screaming volume. Um, I'm not saying that that's the tactic that the, that the Pro-Life Action League uses, but it certainly is used places in this country, which is what makes which is what makes it constitutional. We have in this country for a long time had a separation during protests. We very often keep people to sides just for safety reasons, and it's for the safety of everyone, for both the picketers and protesters and for the patients and companions. Um, it's, I mean, it's been upheld surrounding the Supreme Court and at polling places. There's no reason why it shouldn't be allowable for accessing a medical procedure. Eric Scheidler, you're good with uh, people taking photographs of these people and posting them on the Internet as well? As they're going in no, to see their doctor? No, I don't agree with that tactic at all. You can you condemn that uh, sort of thing? Certainly. And yet your own website has put up these pictures of uh, clinic escorts and pro-choice journalists and uh, doctors. Certainly. That, no, I, that's actually, okay. I draw a distinction between, between the woman who's going to have an abortion. It doesn't do her any good. It doesn't help her in her healing process um, to, to shame her in that way. Um, but we're talking about uh, very outspoken advocates for abortion. An abortionist is actually... You know, complicit in destroying the lives of unborn children in their earliest weeks of life. Yeah. You know, someone who ushers women into that place and a, and a, and a strong uh, advocate for abortion in, in uh, the journalistic sphere. So, and yet they don't have a right. And yet they don't have a right to go visit their doctor without being uh, essentially assaulted verbally, at the very least, on the sidewalk. As far as you're concerned. If there's a crime going on, then okay. call the police. If there's an actual assault going on, call the police. We already have laws against. Well, if we pass you know, a law if that they're going to commit an act of violence or assault, is going to yeah. not going to be deterred by a buffer. If we well, if we pass a law that there is a buffer zone, then there would be a violation of the law going on. So, where in places where there are buffer zones, uh, you certainly call for respecting those. Correct. Oh, yeah. We, we encourage our people to comply with the law Good. and to fight the law in court, not to, to break the law. Eric Scheidler, Executive Director of the Pro-Life Action League, I thank you much uh, for your time and your willingness to, uh, to discuss this issue. And I really do hope you will uh, rethink or at least try to rehear what Katie Klebusik is telling you, that she feels threatened, she feels concerned uh, by being targeted on your website. And if you really don't want her to be targeted uh, by anybody, crazy or not, uh, you know, you can take down things like where she lives. Uh, But I do thank you, Eric, very much for joining us here today. 
Hey, I'm glad for the opportunity. And, you know, this experience and listening to Katie and watching her Twitter feed and stuff really has inspired in me a great deal of sympathy for her. And I do hold her a good place for her in my heart and wish her well. And I pray for her every day. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate that. Uh, Katie Klobusik, I thank you for your work you're doing and for uh, the courage that you're showing here, frankly, uh, your willingness to not be intimidated by this, uh, and for your open letter to legislators from a clinic escort as posted at truthout.org. Uh, Katie, really appreciate all you're doing, and, and thanks for talking to us today and, uh, and for uh, talking to Eric Scheidler as well. Thanks, Brad. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. Keep up the good fight. We're going to take a quick break, come back with much more Bradcast. I'll try to cheer you up <laughs> with the decision of the Supreme Court today. It probably won't work, and you're going to need more than love. You're going to need money. You're listening to the Bradcast on KPFK Pacifica Radio. Stay with us. I'm Brad Friedman. KPFK would like to thank the following generous food donors for helping to feed our volunteers during our winter fun drive. Leonore's Vegetarian Food on Victoria Tahunga, Dave's Chillin' and Grillin' on Colorado Boulevard in Eagle Rock, our new neighbor's Veggie House, Great Vegan Cuisine on Coanga Boulevard West, Western Bagel on Ventura in Studio City, North Hollywood Ice on Craner, Pete's Coffee on Larchmont Boulevard in Larchmont Village. Special shout-out to Lena and the gang. Wise Coffee, 100% organic, micro-roasted, single-origin specialty coffees. Check them out at wisecoffee.com. Verdugo Coffee Roasters in Burbank coffee beans from around the world roasted around the block. Check them out at verdugocoffee.com and Mountain Valley Water. When you visit these fine establishments, please thank them for donating to your favorite radio station, KPFK. Bradcast on KPFK. Glad you could stay with us. Feel free to tweet me anytime you like at the Brad blog. We have a lot to cover today. And as usual, uh, yeah, I'm running late. So we'll see if I get to uh, the FCC uh, rollback of media consolidation. 
a little. That's the good news. Uh, we'll try to get to uh, more detail either later or perhaps next week because uh, sucking up all of the oxygen today is what happened at the Supreme Court in McCutcheon versus Federal Election uh, Committee a, a Commission. As if there is not uh, enough money in politics, today's decision at the Supreme Court uh, will, as pretty much every election expert is arguing, even people in favor of this decision are arguing, is about to make things much, much, much worse. To explain this rather complicated case, frankly, and, and uh, the effect that it will have, including the idea that it will allow money laundering, legalized money laundering by rich campaign donors, as described by Ian Milheiser at uh, Think Progress today, we are joined by Ian Milheiser, constitutional law expert from Think Progress. Hey, Ian, welcome to the broadcast. It's good to be here. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to have you here. Uh, I've wanted to talk to you for a while. I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, thank you for what you do over there, uh, specifically you do over at Think Progress, because even on a slow news day, if I go over and see what you're writing about, it's going to be about something that is important and that actually matters. So thank you for that. Uh, Ian, give us your best uh, try here to explain what happened today in this McCutcheon case uh, and the effect that this will most likely have on American elections across the country as we know them? Sure. So most so what's left of our campaign finance law after Citizens United mm-hmm. is basically built with two pillars. Um, the first pillar is there's a limit on the amount of money you can give to an individual candidate. That's $2,600 um, per election. And then there's also limits on how much you can give to, like, the DNC or the RNC or your state party or something like mm-hmm. that. So that's the first pillar. The second pillar is that there's an overall limit. It's called an aggregate limit on the total amount of money you can give to all the candidates, all the political party organizations, and so on and so forth, that you want to donate to in a particular cycle. And that limit is a lot of money. That aggregate limit is $123,200. So that means, just to, um, just to clarify, this is all the money, if you want, you can only give uh, for each election $2,600 to each candidate. And by the way, that's 2600 for the primary, 2600 for the uh, general. But you can't, so you can give to as many as you want up to that limit of $123,000, and then you can't give to any more candidates. And this decision then today, the McCutcheon decision, does away with that limit. It keeps in place that $2,600 limit per election, but it allows you to give to as many candidates as you like up to like $3.5 million now, right? Uh, $3.5 billion is as much as you want. If you can find candidates, you can give, you can give them the money. And, you know, and it's important to understand who we're talking about here. Because, you know, we're not talking about people who, like, you know, have a few extra dollars lying around decide to give it to somebody who's running for Congress. We're talking about people who have already given a hundred and twenty three thousand bucks. So they already had an extra hundred and twenty three thousand dollars lying around that they weren't doing anything with. So they decided to give it to a bunch of political candidates. And then they wake up one morning and they go, Gosh, I, I just I just need to give people more money. hundred and twenty three thousand dollars is not enough. Right. I need to spend even more money to try to influence this election. And you know, I don't know about you 
that I don't have $123,000 lying around. I don't know of too many people who do have $123,000 lying around. So the right that the Supreme Court created today is a right that belongs only to a handful of extremely rich people Mm -hmm. who can afford to first spend six figures influencing an election and then say, you know what, that's not enough. Right. Well, the nonpartisan Center for Responsive Politics, uh, who track political money, they found that uh, while nearly 1.3 million people donated more than $200 to federal candidates or party committees, uh, only about 600 hit the maximum donation limit to federal candidates in the 2012 election. So we're talking about this decision today applies to 600, uh, um, essentially to 600 Americans who, as you say, Ian Milhai, or happen to have uh, $123,000 sitting around uh, and then some because they need to give out more money. So this is a decision. I saw somebody on Twitter uh, said, uh, you know, maybe we ought to stop talking about the First Amendment. Let's talk about the, you know, 1% Amendment, because that's who this seems to apply to. Uh, And it should also be noted This decision is completely separate from the millions that are already allowed uh, to be given uh, unlimited money, as far as I know, to these super PACs, uh, the the Sheldon Adelsons, the Koch brothers who can give to super PACs, super PACs. That's not directly to a candidate. That's just to somebody who really, 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 really likes that candidate and wants to put uh, commercials for them uh, on the airwaves. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, Citizens United was a train wreck. But what Citizens United did not allow is that the money that you could give through Citizens United could only be given to these groups that were separate from the parties, they're separate from the candidates, and at least in theory, they're not supposed to be coordinating strategy with the the parties or the candidates. What this decision does is it allows tremendous amounts of money to go straight to candidates and straight to parties, and that means that they can have a much more coherent strategy. So, you know, you no longer have the risk that Sheldon Adelson is going to write a $10 million check for an ad that flops. Now, if he finds a way to launder that $10 million to the candidates that he wants, they're going to be able to do what ever they want with that money and use it in the most strategic and, and coordinated way. Well, explain this money laundering uh, that you talk about. How, how exactly, what, what would this mechanism then be? Uh, because this also came up in the, in the case itself. The, uh, it was, I should say, a five to four uh, decision, although Clarence Thomas wanted to also lift the caps that are given uh, on the money that can be given to any candidate. Clarence Thomas said that those caps are unconstitutional as far as he can, he's concerned. You should be able to give as much as you want to any candidate. But how would this money laundering scheme actually work uh, that you and uh, the minority on the Supreme Court are concerned about? Sure. So uh, there's several ways to do it, and, you know, a lot of them are fairly complex. But the, the gist of it is this. The reason we have this aggregate limit, this $123,000 limit, is if you don't have it, it's really easy to evade the rule saying that there's only but so much money you can give to an individual candidate or to an individual party. So you can do things like the Republican Party could set up the Republican Joint Big Donors Committee, and then someone could write a $1.2 million check to the Republican Joint Donors Committee. And then once they get that check, they then split it up 
and they give $20,000 to the Mississippi Republican Party and $20,000 to the Idaho Republican Party and $20,000 to the Florida Republican Party and so on and so forth. So, so far, they've stuck within the limits in terms of how much one person is able to donate to an individual party. But then, and this is where the money laundering comes in, Mississippi and Idaho, those states are going to go Republican anyway. They don't need that money. So they can take their share of the funds and transfer it to a state like Florida, where you're going to have a lot of hotly contested elections. Mm-hmm. You could have a contested presidential race. And $20,000, or in this case, potentially as much as $1.2 million, could make a lot of difference. So this essentially... yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so this essentially then allows, uh, if I max out and give my $2,600 uh, to uh, you know each of the candidates or each of the uh, uh, political parties that I'm not allow- now allowed to, they can then pool that money and use it instead of for each particular candidate. They can use it where they want to use it. So ultimately, I'm giving a lot more than I would be allowed to give directly to any one candidate uh, based on what the political parties decide, uh, how they decide they want this money to be spent. Correct? That's exactly right. Okay. And, and, you know, and if you're a donor who wants your party to win, You'd ra- I think you would rather have this scenario yeah. where you can just write a huge dollar to the to the party of your choice, and then they can be strategic where to sure. spend it. Because you know who wants to be the donor who writes a you know a ten thousand dollar check to some candidate who winds up being in a safe race and didn't need that money. You'd sure. rather have that money go where it's potentially going to change the outcome of the election. Yeah, let let the political party handle it. Let them decide where they can, uh, you know, th- this money is most needed. The fact that uh, John Roberts on the majority seemed to indicate that, oh, this is uh, this is just too uh, complicated. No one would actually do that. It's a th- It could happen, but it's just too complicated. No one would ever go to that extent uh, to try to fund candidates. Uh, makes me wonder where the hell John Roberts and the rest of the people in the majority today have been for the last four years years since they passed Citizens United, since they allowed that decision to move forward, I kind of thought that they would look at this case and say, you know what, we were kind of wrong four years ago with Citizens United. The worst case scenario has happened. So let's, uh, you know, not let that happen again. But clearly, they did not let that happen. John Roberts believes that this is a right. This is a free speech right. So Ian Milheiser, last question before I have to let you go here. Um, And this kind of actually works in with our last uh, segment, uh, the... uh, Uh, abortion conversation we were having before we had you on. Uh, Is there any uh, First Amendment right to not be shouted over, uh, to not be outspent? In other words, if if money is speech and uh, Walmart and the Koch brothers have a hell of a lot more money than I do, do I have any right to not allow their speech to be louder than mine, to to not let them overshout me? Or is that, you know, I'm just out of luck? Well, I, I don't know that you necessarily have a First Amendment right, but mm-hmm. what the Supreme Court has said for many years is that Congress or state legislatures are allowed to fight corruption. You know, they're allowed to say that, well, gosh, if someone's getting million-dollar checks then they're, and then they get elected to Congress, they're probably going to be pretty grateful to that guy who just gave them a million-dollar check, and they might do him some favors. Um, And so that's why we allow campaign finance laws in this country, because whatever you think about whether or not money is speech, we recognize that we can't have a corrupt government. 
what the Supreme Court said today is that the word corruption means so little. There essentially has to be an express deal where I sit down with a candidate and I say, hey, I've got a million bucks in this bag, and if you vote for the following list of bills, it's yours. That's just not how corruption works. You know, the, the way that corruption works is that people buy access. People know because, you know, candidates know who the donors are that give a lot of money to, um, to their party. But there's never an explicit conversation where someone says, hey, here's my bribe and here's what you need to do how to get it. Here's what you need to do in order to get it. Under this Supreme Court, you know, unless you have that kind of a quid pro quo arrangement, nothing counts as corruption. Anymore. <laughs> nothing counts as corruption anymore. Uh, apparently so. Apparently not with this Supreme Court. And by the way, uh, a lot of people like to forget this, uh, but this was because we didn't count the votes in Florida in 2000 when uh, Al Gore received more than George W. Bush. This is because John Kerry refused to fight the massive uh, election irregularities that took place in Ohio. That's why this majority now exists on the Supreme Court, uh, who is joining with the Republican Party in Citizens United and in the case today uh, to shut out really everyone's voice, uh, except for those uh, 600 people who happen to have a couple hundred thousand laying around. Uh, amazing. Uh, thank you, Ian Milheiser. Really great to talk to you. I hope we uh, get to do it again uh, soon. You do great work over there. Uh, thank you for everything and thank you for joining us today on the broadcast, my friend. Thank you. If any of your listeners have 123000 that they want to give me, I'm down with that. Uh, right. Uh, no quid pro quo necessary. Just uh, pass it your way and, and we'll... Just bring it in. Yeah. We'll take care of you. Uh, thanks, brother. Really appreciate it. Ian Milheiser from thinkprogress.org. Okay. We got a bit of breaking news here before we go to Desi Doyen in the Green News. There has been apparently a shooting uh, on Wednesday afternoon at Fort Hood, Texas, uh, at the uh, base is now there. The military base is now locked down. Police on the scene say that at least one confirmed dead, several injured. Fort Hood was, of course, the scene of the mass shooting of 13 uh, people in 2009. We will have more about that on Pacifica Evening News tonight at 6 p.m. Let's do some green news. Desi. All right, Desi Doyen. Uh, this time, you know, I always joke about a green news coming in, green news report coming in and cheering us up. <laughs> Maybe this time we really will. Yeah, I think we will. It's yeah. a fun one this time. We'll see. It's our special April Fox Day edition of the Green News Report for April Fool's Day. Kick it, G. Our government spending over $10.6 million of your taxes on climate research. On combating global warming on the hunch, it's man-made. A theory that proved to be grounded in little more than hysteria. This is surprising. You know, I haven't heard on the other channels that uh, some of the glaciers are getting bigger, but that's why people watch Fox. You know yep, it's our special April Fox Day edition of the Green News Report. Yep, all of that Fox foolery and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and foxy comment. Tide goes in, tide goes out. Never miscommunication. Ah, Fox News and science. Perfect together. This is your Green News Report. That's why they watch Fox. Fox. 
Okay, Desi Doyen, before we get to the Fox Foolery in a related item, this fossil fuel funded group calling itself the Non-Governmental International Panel on Climate Change, or NIPCC, released a report this week at the same time the UN did uh, trying to undermine that report. Among the things these ExxonMobil-funded folks say, carbon dioxide is not a pollutant, there is little or no risk of increasing food insecurity due to global warming, a modest warming of the planet will result in a net reduction of human mortality from temperature-related events, and that rising CO2 is actually good, not bad, for the planet. Oh, so it'll all be great and we have nothing to worry about. Yes, it's all good. Why don't you stop your whining? By the way, this is the same group that also has said for years that secondhand smoking is not bad for you. So that's the kind of science that we're working with there. But how about the kind of science they're working with on Fox News? Yep, that's the question today. We thought, what better way to start the month of April than to celebrate the fools at Fox News, especially the Fox News Brain Trust when it comes to the planet's most pressing existential concern, global warming and climate change. So today, a quick look back at just a few of our favorite Fox moments from the fossil-fueled fools at Fox News. On March 31st, as you heard, the U.N. Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released its latest report on the coming devastating impacts of climate change, warning that it will get worse and we need to cut our greenhouse gas emissions or push the climate beyond our ability to adapt as a species. But you won't hear that on the number one cable news outlet, Fox News, with their tsunami of disinformation. There's no science to to global warming. And when are the rest of you liberals going to come around and say, you know what, there is no science and we need more time with the IPCC? IPCC made you wrong. There is no science, just thousands and thousands and thousands of pages and studies, not only as released in the latest IPCC report, but that report itself is a survey of thousands of other scientific reports, pretty much all finding the same thing. And really, what's the point of doing more science when Fox News isn't going to accept that science either? Here's how they describe the IPCC report. They just take a survey of their friends and they say, here's what we believe, and now it must be true, and they demonize anyone who goes against it. I think the details are very threatening yeah. to them. That's why they don't want to look into this more and do more science. Right. They, they just take a survey of their friends? Really? That's Fox News's idea of how science works. That, well, that's what they tell themselves in any case, and of course that's what they tell their millions of viewers. And of course scientists have warned for decades that climate change will bring more frequent and intense extreme weather events, including snow in winter. But for the fools at Fox News, snow means global warming is a hoax. It's the most severe winter storm in years, which would seem to contradict Al Gore's hysterical global warming theories. I sort of feel bad for uh, Al Gore. 63% of the country is now covered in snow, and it's breaking Al Gore's heart. I wonder where Al Gore is this morning. That global warming is really taking its toll. And they offer terrible science. That's not actually science, but stuff that sounds like science. First of all, CO2 cannot cause global warming. It literally cannot cause global warming. Actual physicists disagree. So thanks, Joe Bastardi. So you're going to go with the physicist instead of the TV weather guy that they put on the Fox News? Oh, yeah. Then there's this classic explaining why solar power is more popular in Germany than in the U.S. Oh, I love this one. A classic. What was Germany doing correct? Are they just a smaller country that made it more They're feasible? a smaller country, and they've got lots of sun, right. right? They've got a lot more sun than we do. Totally, completely, entirely 
wrong. Just like the rest of Fox News's reportage on climate change, on global warming, and yes, on science. And this is from a major cable news outlet. This is the majorest cable news outlet, to be frank. No wonder so many of their viewers are so disinformed. And by the way, I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that their second major shareholder is actually a Saudi oil prince. They probably don't mention that to their viewers either, eh? Probably not. For much more Fox foolery and actual science this week, please check out our webpage at greennews.bradblog.com. We'll return to actual news later this week. Until then, you can download us anytime via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Find us and follow us on the Facebook and the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your April Fox Day Green News Report. Looks to me like we're looking at global cooling. Forget this global warming. What does the fox say? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Happy April Fool's Day. I wish there weren't the fools on Fox every single day of the year, however. Anyway, my thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to G, our soundboard operator. Stay tuned for John Wiener and the 4 o'clock report. He will uh, hopefully have Congressman Keith Ellison on today's Supreme Court decision. I'll try to get back to some of the decisions I couldn't get to today, like uh, Florida, where they found that Rick Scott had committed, uh, uh, violated the National Voting Rights Voting Registration Act with his voter purge of 2012. Oh, well, we'll pick it up at bradblog.com. I'll see you same time next week. Same Brad time, same Brad channel. Until then, you can find me on the twig on the Twitters at the Bradblog and, of course, at bradblog.com. My thanks to Katie Klabuksik, Eric Scheidler, and Ian Milheiser. I know I tripped over her name. Don't laugh at me, Desi Doyen. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, good night, America.